to Figures in the Dark, the podcast where we tell stories of all things murderous, paranormal, and terrifying that go on in the dark. My name's Tori. My name's Taylor Shea. It took me three times to do that intro, guys. We're doing great. We haven't uh, recorded in a hot fucking minute. Yes, we've had a lot going on between my sickness. You got a new. I have a new baby. You have a new baby. We have. We. I got a new cat. So, um, Tay was sick last week, and then this week has been. Really tough because I picked up a second job as well. So I've been working as a cashier at Giant for like 15, uh, 12 to 16 hours a week, which means on a good week, if I'm working every, every like the days I'm scheduled for both jobs, I'm working 56 hours a week. But this week I'm working 60 hours. So I picked up a double another shift at my full time job and adding a new cat on top of that who is having some butt problems. We call him Stinky Butt Boy because he is leaking hot ass in my room. So, um, yeah. and it's hard because when i got powder like i never slept with her in my room because she was just always out and about you mm-hmm. know what i mean and so this is the first time i slept with a cat in my room and he gets a zoomies at 2 a.m and he wakes mm-hmm. me up to try to feed me at feed him at 5 a.m so i'm a little tired so we appreciate your guys's patience yeah. there was some sickness there's a new baby in the house yeah um, i started school so yes. it's been a time mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. we i know we took a week off because tay was you know sick and i and i got the baby and stuff like that so we're gonna try to record a bunch today in order to have stuff for three mm-hmm. weeks out and then i believe we're also going to try to do something a little special for y'all for halloween um mm-hmm. not quite sure what that is yet but we're gonna try <laughs> <laughs> um so the first yeah. case we're gonna do is not gonna be like a spooky ookie ookie case mm-hmm. um the next two episodes will be kind of related to that um with spooky season so um what are we chatting about today so i want to give a very big content warning for today because we are going to be talking about mental health mental illness um thoughts of suicide and um attempted suicide as well as completed Mm -hmm. so for many i'm sure that this is a very triggering topic Mm -hmm. and very difficult so I want to provide ample warning for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. we're going to be talking about the death today of Christine Chubbuck. Which is funny because when Tay was Tay was yes. showing me in her in her room, like she was researching stuff for her law, her paralegal cert, <laughs> and she was showing me stuff. And then I saw a tab that said Christine Chubbuck. I was like, wait, wait. what are you doing? Because <laughs> I had just seen a yeah. TikTok about the movie Christine. I was like, wait, are you doing that case? She goes, yes, I am. And I was like, fuck, that was going to be my next fucking case. So, so I stole it. So she uh, she just uh, snatched that shit. So um, we'll s- I, I know a little bit about it. I don't know. Like the I read the Wikipedia page. So, I mean, yes. I know a lot, fair amount because of the Wikipedia page. But it's a very interesting case. Yes. So. And I think an interesting and important discussion to have. Mm-hmm. So Christine Chubbuck was 29 years old in the summer of 1974. So she was born in Hudson, Ohio in 1944 to her two parents, Peg and George Fairbanks Chubbuck. So Christine had always been a bit of a recluse and even at a young age had seemed to even um, have like from even very young had a desire for relationships, but Mm -hmm. had trouble connecting with others. But for the most part, she was described to kind of have like a good sense of humor about it. Mm -hmm. So when she was about high school age, when she was a student of the Laurel School for Girls in Cleveland, she jokingly formed a dateless wonder club. For her and all the other what she called rejected girls who didn't seem to have dates on saturday nights interesting 
So after graduation, she attended Miami University at Oxford in Ohio for about a year studying theater arts. So after she after that, she then transferred to Endicott College in Beverly, Massachusetts, until ultimately she ended up receiving a degree in broadcasting in 1965 from Boston University. Mm-hmm. Christine's parents also reported that that she did say that during these years that she did also have uh, come to them with complaints of loneliness as well as she was still struggling to make romantic connections even though she was expressing a desire to have them mm-hmm. so from even young ages it seems like christine was very lonely wanted romantic relationships wanted to connect mm-hmm. with others but really struggled with mm-hmm. connecting with others there's never really given a lot of reason as to explanation as to why other Mm -hmm. than maybe just like personality or things like that Mm -hmm. that she had a hard time connecting with others but from what I kind of gathered from a lot of this like later potentially it was like mental health struggles Mm -hmm. that kept her from connecting as well as sometimes like some of the things that like she did or some of her quirks kind of made me think potentially she could have been on the spectrum Mm -hmm. and was undiagnosed didn't really know Mm because like also like 60s 70s mm-hmm. like yeah they weren't really well, seeing that as a spectrum well and also not seeing a spectrum but also i feel like diagnosing women even this mm-hmm. day and age is yeah. so much harder i mean as myself as someone who was diagnosed with adhd late late in life you know i was diagnosed at 23 so doing that like even mm-hmm. just to talk about adhd like that is a spectrum of itself there are people who have more severe adhd mm-hmm. and then people who don't I when I told my my mom that I had ADHD, she was like, "I but you never like fidgeted in school." Mm-hmm. So like think about it, so that that's what the 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 thought of ADHD is and thought of autism is like yeah. no eye contact and stimming and you know being nonverbal and going nonverbal mm-hmm. and shit like that, which does happen even to people who you know who are on the spectrum and who are I, I hate I don't even know I don't want to say that word high functioning, yeah. but you know what I mean like people who don't have as a severe case of autism, they are still autistic just because they're not going nonverbal exactly. and so. Even now, like as a woman getting diagnosed with autism, especially later in life, it's hard to do so because a lot of times women are taught more to mask because mm-hmm. we are women. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not shocked that even yeah. back then, I mean, obviously back then it not, she never got diagnosed, but probably even today she wouldn't get diagnosed. Probably. And it just, it kind of makes the most sense to me as to why she had such a difficulty mm-hmm. with connecting with her. It seems like from a lot of things that she did in her personal life when not at work or like off of camera Mm. she was she it's like she didn't fully understand social cues Mm. or wasn't understanding like the social world around her Mm -hmm. gotcha um so after graduating college she returned to ohio and worked for cleveland's news station wviz for about a year in 1966 so it was clear to her family after this that her career became her whole life Mm -hmm. and being a real reporter was her singular focus Mm -hmm. so after which she attended a summer radio workshop um for tv and radio at new or nyu in 1967 so after that she worked for about three months in canton and then she moved to pittsburgh to work for wqed tv as an assistant producer for the show's women's world and keys to the city Mm -hmm. So although she was clearly successful to some degree in her field, her personal life was still not flourishing, and this became an extreme point of stress for her. So she chose to leave the field for a period of about four years. Oh, wow. 
Uh, she then worked as a hospital computer operator. Mm-hmm. So until she then chose to return to the field when she mo- moved to Sarasota, Florida, and worked for a cable TV firm for two years. She was then... It was then after she then joined the ABC affiliate WXLT-TV. So when she moved down to Florida, she moved into a summer cottage in Siesta Key. Originally, she moved alone, but after her parents' divorce, her mother moved in with her. Mm -hmm. And eventually, at one time or another, each one of her brothers lived with them as well. So Christine's social life still was not a very fulfilling one. So primarily at this time, Christine was not having any luck with any kind of romantic relationships and didn't have any real close friends either. Mm -hmm. So she would often say that her brother Greg was her best friend. Mm -hmm. So as well as her family describes her as although she was she was in her late 20s, she was still not so only socially immature but also at times was quite behind in other ways that they saw too mm-hmm. so when living in the summer co- cottage she painted her room and canopied her wet bed in a way that looked more like a teenage girl's room mm-hmm. rather than an adult woman's bedroom mm-hmm. so again christine focused all of her time and energy mostly on her career so the owner of wxlt tv bob nelson hired her as a reporter but later gave her a spot hosting a community affairs talk show mm-hmm. called suncoast digest Mm -hmm. that aired mornings at 9 Mm a.m so on it she would often report or interview important members of the community as well as they discussed rising problems uh being observed in the area so she took the show very seriously and often made that very clear to her coworkers. So at this same time, however, Christine often talked at length with her family that she was struggling with depression and suicidal ideations. Mm-hmm. So however, her family tried their best to support her. They did not report this to police or her work as they feared that sharing that she was expressing this would cost her her job at the station. Which back then, like, I, I could see yeah. that because they, mental health wasn't talked about back then. So I can yeah. understand why, you know, her family wouldn't want to do that because why would you want to call someone when they're that's the only thing that really is i want to say like and i I don't think this but you know in some people's eyes her career is the only thing she has going for her you know what i mean exactly this is her and i think maybe they were also under the impression that like that could be the straw that breaks the camel's back like that's the only thing that's like holding her on is her work Mm -hmm. so they didn't want to risk her work but also of course like as you said back then there was a lot of stigma Mm -hmm. for these kinds of things there could have been a possibility of her job saying you're not well Mm -hmm. goodbye yeah and although she was quite communicative with her family that she was not doing well mentally she did not share with them any concrete plans to complete a suicide of any kind Mm -hmm. so she did however attempt suicide in 1970 when she attempted to overdose on medication Mm -hmm. she was treated for this event but did reference it often during the summer of 1974 interesting okay Yes. So she had attempted in the past, had received mental health treatment, was doing better in mm-hmm. her family's eyes. And I don't know, I, me personally, I might find it a little concerning if a family member who had attempted in the past kept talking to me I about agree. it and talking about their attempt to me. I don't know if I would chalk it up to maybe that they were processing mm-hmm. it years later or if yeah they felt the same way again Mm -hmm. i'd probably i'd probably be on the lookout you know what i mean like i wouldn't i wouldn't actively do anything because i wouldn't want to and i put it out there like if someone's suicidal and you ask them are you suicidal that's not going to make them kill themselves no like that's that's not 
you know, people have this thing where it's like, don't say the word suicide to someone who is suicidal. They, they're going to talk about it. Like, it is what it is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like if I had a family member who had attempted and was doing what Christine was doing, if anything, I'd just be on high alert. Yeah. Being like, mm, okay, this might be, you know, yeah. or I might pull her aside and be like, hey, listen, like, you're talking a lot about your suicide attempt. Like, are you contemplating suicide? Like, yeah. are you okay? You know what I mean? Yes. Which, and from all research, they basically say that, like, the best thing to do for suicide prevention is if someone is expressing these kinds of things to ask them like the biggest sign or indicator that they might or will attempt is if they have a concrete plan Mm -hmm. yeah so and at this point christine wasn't sharing with anybody Mm -hmm. any concrete plan Mm -hmm. just at this point that she was sharing that she wasn't mentally doing well and kept bringing up when she had attempted suicide in the yeah. past. Yeah, and there's only so much you can ask, and there's only, like, because here's my thing, I, especially, like, in the work that I do, mm-hmm. like, you you can only take stuff at surface value, right? Yeah. Like, if someone says to you, like, I'm not suicidal, not every suicidal person is going to tell you a plan. Yes. You know what I mean? So, like, you, mm-hmm. you can't take yeah. that as fact either, you know what I mean? So, like, you can ask and mm-hmm. ask if they have a plan, but if they say no, you have to take take their word for it and just be on the lookout, you know exactly. what I mean? Which sucks, but it's true. And so throughout that summer, she had also been seeing a psychologist due to these struggles. So she continued to express that her lack of romantic attachments was worsening her mental health. So she was quickly approaching her 30th birthday and would often complain that she was still a virgin and pretty much only ever gone on about two dates in her adult life. She also complained to her family about her unrequited crush on one of her co-workers, George Peter Ryan. So things worsened for her in this upset when she found out that her closest co-worker to her, Andrea Kirby, was actually dating George. Oh, fuck. So not long after she learned about this relationship, she also learned that Andrea had been given a job offer to leave the station for Baltimore. Mm. So I can understand how that also could be way like compiling way too much stress that Mm -hmm. she has this unrecorded crush for someone really has strong feelings then finds out that you're close the closest person to you at work is dating them Mm -hmm. and also that your closest work friend is going to be leaving yeah yeah it's it's all it's and it's also i could also see her being like i wish i was her you Mm -hmm. know what i mean like why is she getting this and i'm not exactly as well as the like and even the fear of okay well she's leaving is my unrecorded crush Mm -hmm. also going to leave with her yeah and then I lose both people. Yeah. So she began struggling even more socially at the office. And often others would describe her as being very defensive when mm. others were nice to her. Mm. Uh, they also said that often she was very self-deprecating and wouldn't accept praise from others. Mm. So that's, that's kind of what I like meant by more like not understanding social yeah. cues. That like I could also see that as like a very big symptom of depression and mm. like lack of self-confidence. But to be defensive when people are being nice to you mm-hmm. either says to me, like, maybe you had been bullied in the past and you mm-hmm. don't trust that people are genuinely being nice to you or that you don't understand mm-hmm. socially that people can be nice to you just mm-hmm. in general. Yeah. Yeah. So also to make matters worse, the year before she had had to have one of her ovaries removed mm-hmm. due to a medically necessary reason. So the doctor that had removed the ovary told her that it would not immediately remove her ability to conceive, but that it would speed up an early onset of infertility. Mm -hmm. So the doctor basically told her that she would need to conceive within the two to three years after removal, or she would not be able to to become pregnant. So this was 
emotionally devastating mm-hmm. for her as she not only was desperately wanting romantic attachments, but she very much wanted a family. Mm-hmm. So Christine did place that goal as very high in her life, as well as she loved children and even volunteered her time creating and throwing puppet shows for orphaned children at a local hospital. Oh, I love that. Yeah, so she was very very much a kid's person Mm -hmm. so i could very much see being told you only have two to three years to conceive Mm -hmm. after having an ovary removed and that you're this had happened already a year so you're basically thinking you either have one year or Mm -hmm. two left yeah and nothing is happening for you romantically at this moment yeah and of course this is not really the time where like ivf was yeah a big a big I've thing been, or, or even having kids by yourself exactly you know what i mean like this day and age like i feel like if i wasn't in a relationship i had no prospects of it and i really wanted a family and i was like hey you have a couple of years to have a kid i would be like okay cool knock me up let's figure out where i'm going or like yeah back in the 70s that wasn't really an no. option because it was still so white pick events two and a half kids dog exactly. and a cat that type of thing you know what i mean yep so by July, things were not going well for Christine. So a former coworker, Rob Smith, who usually went by the nickname Smitty, corroborates that there was becoming a push at the station for a more if it bleeds, it leads kind of mindset. Mm-hmm. So this was extremely against Christine's views as she was not interested in sensationalization as well as her type of news show and reporting in general was more community-based and felt like the push for showing more violence going on in the world on their program would keep them from talking about community-based issues. Mm -hmm. So Smitty also claims that a lot of her reports and stories did keep getting bumped for more violent stories and confirms that she did often face a lot of sexism from upper-level employees at the station. Mm -hmm. So this, of course, was a huge issue for Christine, obviously because of its impact on her career as a woman in journalism, but before coming to coming there and working on shows there she worked on shows that were centering around feminist issues Mm. so like this was personally Mm -hmm. very upsetting to christine yeah when against her own personal values she's basically once again as a woman being Mm -hmm. having her career stunted because of the misfortune of just Mm -hmm. being female and then also the fact that she personally was a feminist yeah this was very difficult for yeah. her. Yeah. So days before July 15th uh, were very out of character for Christine, but she decided to throw a party and invited all of her coworkers to her home. They mm-hmm. say that during this party, she was very happy and outgoing, and they say that they all got to see a whole other side to her. Mm. So, however, later looking back after what next comes, many of the attendees of the party now see this act as a going away party of sorts. Mm. So on July 15th, 1974, Christine came to the team before shooting and said that she would be changing the format that day as she wanted to open the show with reading a newscast. Mm-hmm. So again, this was a community affairs show. Mm-hmm. So usually it was like, it was kind of more talk showy. Like mm-hmm. you sit down, you interview someone. You don't really open often mm-hmm. with reading a news broadcast. Mm-hmm. So this was very unusual Mm -hmm. so the guests that she was scheduled to interview that day waited across the studio as she changed things up and sat at the news desk and began to read out the news so for eight minutes she covered three national news stories the last being a shooting that had occurred the previous day Mm -hmm. so 
trigger warning, but after this, she had then planned to show footage from the shooting. However, the reel jammed, and when this occurred, she shrugged and curtly said, and I quote, in keeping with X, her WXLT's practice of presenting the most immediate and complete reports of local blood and guts news, TV40 presents what is believed to be a television first in living color and exclusive cover, coverage of an attempted suicide. Jesus. After this, she then drew a gun from beneath the desk and shot herself behind her mm. right ear. Mm. So every person present was stunned at that moment. The camera then cut to black and abruptly ended the program. At first, several others there, including Smitty, believed that this had to have been a joke. Mm -hmm. During the week leading up to July 15th, she had joked with this same coworker about having bought a gun and killing herself live on air. First of all, why? Uh, oh, okay. I'm yep. just going to Yeah. So no one could believe that this was possible, but it was. Christine was then rushed to a local hospital for treatment and within 14 hours after being there was pronounced dead. Mm -hmm. So... To kind of clarify a little bit as like Smitty saying that he thought this was all a joke mm -hmm. was because she had a very dark or dry sense mm -hmm. of humor with him. Mm -hmm. So to him personally, he didn't think anything of it because he thought mm -hmm. that this was he thought it was a little strange of mm -hmm. a joke. But he he was used to her in particular with him mm -hmm. being very dry and kind of dark humored. Mm -hmm. Which, to me, I think this would be really odd, and I would yeah. feel some type of way about it, but I guess he just didn't think mm -hmm. it could be possible. And also, to be fair, nobody at her work knew she had attempted suicide in yeah, the past. Yeah, exactly. Or yeah. had struggles with that. Which I think, I think I forgot about that. Her yes. mom and her family never told that to anybody. Exactly. I think that's an important detail to remember. Yes. She didn't talk to her coworkers mm -hmm. or anybody about any of her struggles. They had no idea she had mm -hmm. any of these struggles. Her And she didn't tell her family or joke mm -hmm. with her family that she had bought a gun or mm -hmm. was thinking of doing this. So... Mm -hmm. The lack of communication there. Yeah, she like she like yeah. joked about it in with her friends, her her not her with her her yeah. coworkers because they didn't know about the thing. She didn't tell mm -hmm. her parents about because they knew about the thing. Exactly. So like it's kind of like she had two halves of the story going on with two different people. You know exactly. I mean? So nobody had all of the information to yeah. be able to help. So. One director looked at the script that she was reading from after she was rushed away and found that the suicide itself was written into the script. Oh, Jesus. So she had planned this. Mm -hmm. So after that, it was written in there a third-party account of what had happened to be read by whoever would take over the broadcast. And in the script, she wrote in advance it descri to describe her condition as critical. Mm-hmm. So not only did she put her suicide in the script and plan mm -hmm. it out that way, she also planned out who would be talking about it and how they would be talking about it after she attempted. But did she think that it was going to, like, they were going to keep on rolling? I think so. That she, which that also kind of, to me, says that she very, very much was mm -hmm. mentally in a yeah. not okay place. That she thought of herself so little that... She would think that after literally trying to commit suicide live on air, that they would just keep rolling. Keep rolling. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Like, that's, that's a lot. And because yeah. she also shows that she's also not rooted in reality either. Yes. That 
just awful. So footage of this on-air suicide is reported to still exist Mm -hmm. and that the owner of the station kept the footage until his death. However, no other copies remain. Mm -hmm. So after the owner's death, it was reported that his wife then inherited the sole footage, Mm -hmm. but she has stated that she had given the tape to a law firm for safekeeping. Mm -hmm. So there is no footage Mm -hmm. to anybody's knowledge that is out there that Mm -hmm. can be seen of her doing this. So although this part remains unconfirmed, Smitty claims that the original program director at the time that this had happened was dubbing multiple tapes of the suicide footage. So the director told him that he was doing this because news stations all over would want footage of this. So, but coworkers and Christine's family, according to Smitty, stopped the release of this and destroyed all copies other than the original, which was given to the station owner. Mm-hmm. So if this was true, that's really fucked up. Yeah, definitely. If untrue, this is a really weird story yeah. to make up to kind of like make yourself yeah, a yeah, hero yeah. in some aspect of it. I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah, I I mean, I don't think that the footage needed to be shown. Mm-mm. You know what I mean? Like, I can see why they would report on it. Yep. But there's no need for need it to, to be shown. Yeah. It's kind of like the same vibe that I get of like... I hate when they release like footage from school shootings. Yeah, and the, the shows like the like the, the Columbine kids. Yeah, we don't because then see that. you t- they, there's people who take that and run with it. Exactly, i.e. the bitch who got the fucking tattoo of them on her body. Oh, that's disgusting. Like it's you don't need to see that no. type of stuff. You don't need to do that. It's it's all just really unfortunate mm-hmm. and I don't know. I feel very wishy washy about which version I think yeah. is the truth. Either way, I'm glad that there is no footage out there that exists that the general public can see. Mm -hmm. So the questioning behind what drove Christine to do such a heinous act live on air still remains a mystery even to her loved ones. Mm -hmm. So many people in her life cite her unfulfilling love life, whereas some point to the pressure she began experiencing at work to to sensationalize Mm -hmm. the news. Mm -hmm. I'm doing great, guys. Words. So either way, everyone is united in their confusion as to why she chose to do this and what she did it and why she would do what she did in such a traumatizing and public way. Mm -hmm. So even at her own funeral, the pastor leading the ceremony said, and I quote, we suffer at our sense of loss. We are frightened by her rage. We are guilty in the face of her rejection. We are hurt by her choice of isolation and we are confused by her message. Mm hmm. And I think that that's a pretty good way to describe mm-hmm. all of this. Yeah. That, I, yeah, I agree. Yeah, that it's just confusing and mm-hmm. none of her choice makes sense. Mm-hmm. So for many years, her family did not speak to the public about what had happened. Uh, the first time that any family did was her brother in literally 2007. Wow. Yeah. It's so like decades, 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 decades later. later. So, however, the impact of what Christine did does live on and adds to the larger conversation of why a person would commit suicide so publicly. So public suicides, albeit incredibly shocking, also have in some ways a unique psychology. So many can be political in nature, much like that of our Bud Dwyer. So the former PA senator that on January 22nd, 1987, shot himself live on air during a press conference that he held the day before he was supposed to be sentenced for his conviction of accepting bribes from a tech company that was responsible Mm -hmm. for overcharging citizens Mm -hmm. on their state taxes. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so his being political that he claimed he was innocent. So many mm-hmm. believed that why he had done that was either possibly that politically he was trying to say that he was innocent and blame everybody else mm-hmm. for his death or that also he was trying to escape consequences mm-hmm. of his actions. Um, so, however, some psychologists believe that it could also be that someone who commits suicide in a public fashion may not just be attempting to send a shocking message or make a political statement, but also that the very nature in making it so public is that they are hoping for someone to save them. Mm-hmm. So that perhaps they are ambivalent about death, but simultaneously hoping that they can be stopped. Mm -hmm. So whatever the reasons may be for Christine, they unfortunately will never be truly known. But the legacy of what she did does live on and has gone on to inspire others to attempt to understand her further through movies and documentaries. And unfortunately, even inspired the 90-Day Jane suicide hoax, where in February of 2008, an individual began a blog promising that in 90 days of st- from starting the blog, she would kill herself. Mm-hmm. So in this blog, she talked about why that she had made her decision and asked for suggestions on the methods she should use. So and even Jesus. said that she was inspired to make the blog by Christine and R. Bud Dwyer. So however, it was later luckily revealed to be that this blog was completely false and was described by the creator as an art project. I mm, let's not use suicide as an art project, guys. Like let's not yep. do that. Or my favorite uh to quote Sam Pepper, it's a social experiment. Yeah. What we're not going to do is that. Sexual harassment to others in public is just, it's just a, you know. It's just, it's, just, it's just a social experiment. I'm just like socially experimenting as to how people react when I commit crimes against them in public. That, uh, absolutely not, guys. Like, we, like, yeah. <laughs> let's not do that. The, I... I don't know. I think it's just such an interesting case because it is so, like, to me, unfathomable. Yeah. You know what I mean? Doing that in such a public setting because as someone who has experienced suicide ideation before, like, I feel like all of that was so private to me. You know what I mean? It was so, like, I didn't let anyone know about it until years later when I was out of Mm -hmm. that mindset. You know what I mean? So it's just so, not unbelievable, but just so crazy to me that, like, this was something yeah. that was so private to me and great who am yeah. i right i'm just some yeah. bitch right but it like something be... so private yeah. to me and so many of my friends was such a public act for her you know what i mean yes as well as like as someone who whose family has been impacted by suicide and the loss of a loved one to it to me it feels like there were so many things she was doing to cry out for help mm-hmm. but as any person who's going through these things are also hiding parts of it mm-hmm. so that potentially they're not stopped. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Like, it's so hard for any person to really understand the why. I think any person who survives a loved one that does this, there will, even if there was a note left, mm-hmm. even if there was an explanation that this person mm-hmm. tried to give, it still never fully makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. And there's you're as a family member you're always left with the idea of was there something i could have done mm-hmm. yeah was there more that i could have done to prevent this mm-hmm. and like that's really hard to say mm-hmm. 
it's really difficult to say like in Christine's case like oh this could have been prevented if the family had mm-hmm. told her work about her mm-hmm. or if her co-workers took it seriously well like because here here's the thing they're, how they're, would they have known well and, and here's the thing too like you can do everything you can at yeah. the end of the day attempting or or completing suicide mm-hmm. is a personal choice right and i'm not yeah. this is not I'm, i feel like that came off a little blamey yeah. but at the end of the day you can do everything you can to protect somebody if they're one if they want to complete suicide they're going to figure out a way to do it like there are so many ways to do it you know what mm-hmm. i mean like what are you gonna do lock someone in a padded room the their entire life yeah they're gonna figure out how to do it yeah. you know what i mean like mm-hmm. whether it be starving themselves whether it be you know car crashes like it's yeah. there's gonna be a way to do it so i don't want anyone to think that like oh it could have been different could it have possibly helped and maybe like pre- tr- like not prevented yeah. but could it have like I don't want to say delayed or like made a difference if they would have said something maybe but you know no we know what we're not gonna do is sit here yeah. and point fingers at the family because at the end of the day they lost their yeah. daughter sister brother or daughter sister niece grandchild yeah. to suicide and what we're gonna do is just give them all the love in the world because they're dealing with a traumatic loss yes as someone who has been there for someone who mm-hmm. has been impacted by suicide like all you were what we're not gonna do is be like what could you have done differently because that person is already saying all those things and those people are already dealing with that loss what we're not going to do is add more insult to injury and look Mm -hmm. at them be like what could you have done differently because guess what like they're already saying that tenfold and what they don't need is someone else saying it to them so that's what we're not going to do here you know what i mean and of course we're not saying that any kind of like suicide intervention kind of things don't work or anything like that. Absolutely. There are resources out there that are super helpful, Mm -hmm. that are trained professionals that can help in many ways. But also I think, as you said, that we need to be better about being Mm -hmm. able to support people who go through this. Cause especially like there are, it's, this has existed forever. The concept Mm -hmm. of suicide has existed forever, but for so many years, there are so many stories of people changing their family members' uh, death certificate mm-hmm. to say something completely different because they didn't want suicide mm-hmm. to be listed on the death certificate because then they couldn't be buried in certain burial mm-hmm. grounds or because it would bring shame on the family. Mm-hmm. Like, this shouldn't be a thing that Mm-mm. people think of or feel as shameful. My family shouldn't be told that we shouldn't talk about the real reason as to how we lost our family member mm-hmm. because it's shameful. Mm-hmm. I sometimes don't always explain it or say it because I don't want to make others uncomfortable, mm-hmm. which is my own problem that I shouldn't I shouldn't have to feel that well, way. And it's also I feel yeah. like when you say that, I mean, and this is even me speaking from personal yeah. experience, I don't say it out loud, but when someone says this person completed suicide, my first thought is how they do it. Yeah. And there are those people who aren't like me yeah. who will say, "Oh, well, how they do it." Yeah. And that opens up a whole nother door yeah. that you that you or whoever has lost a loved one due to suicide yeah. doesn't need to fucking answer. Or I, like, the question that I get asked most often is why? Yeah. And guess what? Like I'd love to know, too. <laughs> yeah. Like everyone yeah. would love to know, because even if there is a note, yeah. there's still going to be a why. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like it's and, and it's I, I I don't want anyone who is feeling <laughs> suicidal to have that shame because there is nothing yeah. wrong with feeling like that like i feel like you we need to destigmatize the 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 thing the topic of of suicide in general yes. because the more it's talked about yeah. the more awareness is brought to it and yes there's the 988 or whatever yeah. and yes but even that's flawed like you know yep. i feel like what we need to do is just fucking talk about it Absolutely. like it's triggering and it's very hard to talk about and even myself as someone who is no longer in the headspace like i would be lying if i said like mm-hmm. 
something I always say to people, and this trigger one, this might be like like triggering. The way that I, me and a lot of people I've talked to are who mm-hmm. are also mentally ill see suicide is like that breaking case of fire. Like you break the glass and you have the fire extinguisher. Like yeah. that is how a lot of mentally ill people see suicide as, yes. right? And I feel like saying that, like mm-hmm. if I say that to certain people, they're like, oh my God, you're suicidal. I'm not suicidal. No. I'm not actively it's suicidal. Just, that's the in case of emergency. Yes. And yeah. even, even that, even saying that, like that gives a, <gasps> to a lot of people. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with saying that because, because yeah. once you acknowledge it and once you say it, you can start to talk about it and process, okay, what makes me feel like that? What can yeah. I do to help myself to feel like that? And even just in general, like even a little offshoot, this is like self-harm. Like it's such a taboo subject and people are so like why would you do that why would you be suicidal why would you want to hurt yourself or kill yourself like people just do yeah you know what i mean and there should not be judgment for that absolutely or when people are just sitting chalk up attempts to well it's just a cry for help it's just for Mm -hmm. attention well that that person needs that attention Mm -hmm. that if they're willing to hurt themselves to that degree they Mm -hmm. they need that Mm -hmm. as well as like there are so many people who say like for them like that have attempted it wasn't necessarily that they wanted to die but they wanted a certain pain to end or they wanted certain things that I mean, were happening in their world to stop something i asked clients and i and we i, I think you might have been on the training yeah. for the place we used to work at it was called qpr training it was question persuade and respond or something like that or so. refer yeah essentially it's that and that's where i, I learned that you're not going to make someone more suicidal by asking are you planning to commit suicide yeah. or are you planning to commit whatever um but i also feel like in in my work something i'll ask people is like if they if they say stuff like i just don't i just don't i just don't want to do it i this is a lot like whatever and they're saying the things that like might lead Mm -hmm. me believe they might be feeling a little suicidal or having that ideation i say to them let me just step back and pause Mm -hmm. do you actually want to die or do you want everything to just stop for for a week stop for a month stop for a year and you can just rest and not I, I would say I've asked that question probably five to ten times in my in my in my two and a half years, almost three years of doing this work. Eighty percent of the time, ninety five percent of the yeah. time, they say, I just want stuff to stop. Yeah. I mean, how many times I mean you can attest to it. How many times have I sat there and been like, I just need shit to stop? Yeah. I don't want to die. I want to continue living. I love my life. Yeah. I just need shit to stop exactly. for like a week. Mm-hmm. So I can sleep, I can do whatever I need to do, and then I can press play. Like yeah. and I feel like sometimes that also isn't talked about. It's not mm-hmm. only just the doesn't want a certain pain, doesn't want to deal with something. It's just the time goes by so quick. And the only way sometimes people know how to stop that is by attempting suicide. And it's not good either way, but it's the reality. You know yeah. what I mean? So I don't know. Yeah. Well, very sorry that it picked a very Dark. heavy one. Yeah. But just because I think like isn't October Suicide Awareness Month as well? I know it's Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Yeah, I'm not sure about. I forget. So we'll look it up anyway. Um, but just because I think it's important. I think these discussions need to be had, and I know that although it'll be coming up on a year September. Oh, okay, so September mm-hmm. was so, and it'll be coming up on a year the one year anniversary for my family around Thanksgiving. Mm. And in this year, I don't feel like there has been a lot of conversations about it in Mm. a way that we can deal with it. Well, that -hmm. it's been a lot of like just putting the band-aids on for Mm. a while, just trying Mm -hmm. to like see what we can do to somewhat stop the Mm. bleeding rather than cure the wound. Mm, Yeah. Cause at the end of the day, like, especially with a loss and a traumatic one at that, that's all you can really do for a long time is just keep on putting those band-aids on, keep on, you know, 
gluing the wound shut to try to make yourself, you know, be able to live day to day. You know, it's, it's yeah. one of those things that suicide, you're never going to be healed from a suicide. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you're never going to be healed from ha- losing a loved one to suicide. It's yeah. kind of simple as that. Um, yeah. It's and just, so you know, many love and support going out to Christine's family mm-hmm. and the family of Arba Dwyer mm-hmm. and really just kind of asking everybody just be good to each other be mm-hmm. understanding to each other and like and don't be judgmental yeah. when you hear someone like because there yeah. i've i've had people where i'll talk to people about my history of self-harm and suicide ideation and they're like oh my god but you're a happy person yeah i am yeah and it, it's, it's corny to say but sometimes the happiest people are the ones who are the most broken inside mm-hmm. because they put it out there like i was always seen as the strong person in my friend group yeah. but i struggle i still struggle more than a lot of people that i was in that friend group yeah because that's just how I am as a person. Like, it's just, you, you bury it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's how a lot of people are. So if you, you know, I had a friend who was very happy like I was and was hospitalized for suicidal ideation for a week. You know, everyone's like, oh my God, like, why would she, she was so happy. I would never expect this of this person, whatever. It happens, you mm-hmm. know, and don't be judgmental. Yeah. When it does happen. Because everyone goes through their shit and what people don't need is adding is insult to injury so thank you guys for listening we appreciate you um if you want to keep on keeping on for our spooky shit that we're going to be yeah. released next next week you can follow us on instagram at figures in the dark you can follow us on twitter at figures in the dark but dark spelled drk you can like our facebook share our page send us a message at figures in the dark and you can send us an email your case suggestions spooky stories mental health check-ins and pictures of your cats at figures in the dark podcast at gmail.com and you can listen to us on all major streaming platforms including google podcasts amazon music um apple music and spotify so yeah yeah so thank you guys for listening and as always beware the figures in the dark right, bye bye